Luke chapter 17. Let's turn there, Luke chapter 17, if you will, with me. And uh, Luke chapter 17, we'll find that, and I'll share a few things with you real quick, and a little bit of a continuation, if we might say, um, from last week, and, uh, um, but also just a, a little bit of additional things. And so we'll jump into Luke 17. We won't necessarily read much from this passage. We were here last week, if you remember, um, as Christ deals with, and uh, in fact, uh, starting with verse 22, some Bibles entitle that section, Jesus foretells his second coming, right? And so we've talked about that. And so last time we got into the scriptural support for the doctrine of the pre-tribulational rapture, and we've been looking at that for some time. And we noted this statement and uh, just kind of summarize where we're at. And I want to clean some things up and uh, derive some conclusions from what we started last week, okay? Many passages in the Old Testament presented two advents of Christ, his two coming to earth, if we might put it that way, uh, in one lump. One big picture as we described it, the first coming to Christ, the second coming to Christ, both of its parts, and that description running together. In fact, there's uh, some verses, some we just celebrated at Christmas, that speaks of Christ coming, then right immediately, uh, the, uh, the government shall be upon his shoulders, and so forth and so on, right? So both advents right there, smack together, running together, as we described it here. Last week, we looked at an example passage that is referenced here in Luke chapter uh, uh, number um, four, right? Um, that uh, uh, Christ um, uh, quoted Isaiah chapter 61, and we read that last time. It's a powerful passage, and, uh, and then when Jesus Christ was in Nazareth, and he entered into that synagogue, uh, and uh, he called for the school, he opened it up to here in Isaiah chapter 61, and he read that as uh, Luke chapter four, and uh, said, right? Luke chapter four described for us, and then um, we, we talked about that, the implications and so forth, and kind of skipping ahead. But we also noted in that, in that Luke chapter 4, um, uh, that, that Christ referenced that. And then Isaiah 61 that he's quoting, we have the big, pic, big picture passage, right? He's coming to earth. He stopped in the middle of the verse. He presented his first coming, and then he talked about the day of vengeance is what it says there. Verse number 2 of Isaiah 61, he says that's coming. That day is going to appear and, and, and so forth. Again, once again, kind of all running together. And uh, we talked about how many Old Testament prophecies seem to give that kind of ran-together picture. But we also acknowledge this. It wasn't easy in their day. As these prophets would give these prophecies and things as such, it was not easy for them to distinguish in that day what was being referenced, what verses, what part of the passage, what part of the prophecy was addressing his first coming, what was addressing his second coming. In fact, we made this statement. The distinction between the two types of messianic prophecies would have been difficult to perceive in that day. As people heard the prophecies, they were assuming this was all going to be together. How do we know that? Because when Jesus Christ came to earth, what were they expecting? The second coming. They were expecting that Jesus Christ would rule and reign, and we'll talk a little bit about that either tonight or next week. And so we understand that, that when those prophecies were given, as they even read them in the years to come, as they read Isaiah and other things, uh, they, they could not distinguish them and uh, easily, if we might put it as such. And so then we saw firsthand Christ does that here in Luke chapter 17. He kind of gives a description of uh, both his first coming, which was happening right then, what was going to happen in a few days, few weeks, and months, but he also then describes what's going to happen down the road. And uh, again, as we look down here, you glance down through Luke chapter 17, you see different descriptions. We said verse 25, he's going to be rejected of this generation. He must suffer. He was talking about that first advent. And then he goes in and, and then he talks about uh, the days of the Son of Man when he will be revealed. 
revealed. Now all of a sudden we have the second coming coming into light when Jesus Christ actually comes down to earth. And so we, we see him doing the same thing here in Luke chapter 17, speaking of both instances and so forth. And so here's where we kind of left off. We made the logical conclusion uh, that in much the same way, when Jesus Christ was giving a discourse, when he was teaching about both parts or aspects about the second coming, the rapture and also when he will touch down here on earth, he used much the same model. He, he spoke in much the same way. A, a great, for instance, passage is Matthew 24 and 25. Uh, he does very similar there, and in fact, even today, it's somewhat hard to distinguish. Okay, are these verses referencing that statement? Is it referencing the rapture? Is it referencing the second coming when he touches down to earth? And when he answers the disciples' questions, when he answers the questions of others about the kingdom of God in those passages, Christ does, an, an, again, another amazing job of weaving together all aspects about his second coming, the rapture and when he comes down to earth. He speaks at times about the rapture, other times the second part, and when he's coming, again, all woven together. Why does he do so? And this is what we really didn't jump into. So why is that so important for us to understand him doing that, and why can we see that's, that's the case in many of these gospel passages that deal with the rapture and the second coming? Well, understand these truths. Number one, it is consistent, as we have seen, with God's delivery of prophecy concerning the two advents of Christ. As it dates back in the Old Testament, as we have seen Isaiah 61 and many other passages, this is consistent with how God has chosen to reveal prophecy in the predictions of what's transpiring in the future. That he would not make a clear distinction between the two parts of the eventual return um, to earth at that time, right? So, and I like this, he let it remain a mystery. We've seen that. First Thessalonians 4, he, he seeks even 1 Corinthians 15, he says, listen, this is a mystery. I'm going to show you this mystery about the rapture. He allows the rapture to be somewhat still of a mystery history in the gospels to be further review, revealed later in the new testament the new testament being specifically the latter parts the letters being written to who the church the believers who are looking for that coming of jesus christ and so forth number two we see another good point that it is in the great majority of instances these passages when christ was speaking of and preaching about his second coming while here on earth he was speaking to jews who were anxious for what the fulfillment of the promises given to their nation about a ruling and reigning Messiah. Do you realize there were people on, in, in, in Christ's inner circle of the 12 disciples that were still expecting him to rule and to reign right then? And so very much this was in the psyche and the thinking, the attitude, the expectation of all of Israel. And it's represented even among the disciples and other followers of Jesus Christ. He was having to clear this up as he's speaking about the second coming. And so they, because they were expecting him to rule and reign in their nation as the Messiah even then. And so he was speaking about and clarifying about the second coming. In other words, he was letting them know that this was not the time for that. It was coming, and he was that, that he spoke much about it. It's going to come in due time. It will be here, and it will it will occur. We'll we'll see the Messiah rule. I'll rule and reign. But that is not the time here. In other words, we can say that he was very much addressing their desire, and much of his um, oration, much of his preaching, and such. He was doing so uh, to address these desires and so forth. Conversely, when Paul is writing. And Paul, a missionary to who? The Gentiles, a missionary to the church. Someone who's planting churches, he's writing the church, and he, it's clear he dwells not upon the aspect of Christ's kingdom and the millennial kingdom, 
The Bible deals with that, but Paul's not focused on that as much as he is dealing with and focused on Christ's relationship with the church. And all of the events that surround that, we've already looked at the model of the wedding, and we've already looked at those pictures found therein in the scriptures. And so Paul is dealing with everything that deals with Christ's relationship with the church. So he's talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb. He's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. We'll see that in future studies. He's talking about this relationship of the bride being given to the bridegroom. This is what Paul's writing about. Why? Because he is addressing the church. Jesus Christ was coming, and who did he primarily minister to? Who was he come to? We'll see a Bible verse in just a moment. He said that I've come to the house of Israel, the lost sheep of Israel. So the majority of his uh, preaching and teaching was about their misconceptions about the Messiah and how he was going to come, when he was going to come, and what was going to all surround that and so forth. So we see the overwhelming part of that, of his teaching and preaching was that, and he kind of lumped all parts of the second coming together as he presented it to the Jews. Thirdly, I have you see this in the Gospels, kind of carrying that thought through, Christ is most often dealing with Jews who anticipated the ruler on the throne in the kingdom of God right then. That's an crucial point. Their thought was the kingdom of God is at hand. Isn't that interesting Jesus Christ said that? Jesus Christ preached the kingdom of God is at hand. But he had something otherwise in mind, didn't he? Notice what the rest of the statement said, okay? Um, so Christ focused on the second coming as one big event in those passages we've read and others evidently not emphasizing the distinction between the first part and the second part of his coming. In other words, the rapture when he touches down to earth. Here's the key. Because his focus in the ministry at that time was to explain that the kingdom of God needed to happen in their hearts before it happened in their homeland. That's crucial. As you understand the programs that God has going on, one for the Jews and one for uh, the church and believers and things, we have to understand that when Jesus Christ first came, it was to the nation of Israel primarily and first. And he's trying to explain to them, listen, you want, you want us to throw off the shackles of the Roman Empire. You want us to throw off the, uh, the, this uh, authoritative um, nation that's uh, over you, and you want me to establish the kingdom of God right now. That's not God's first desire. Now listen to me. Listen to me carefully. Let's apply that personally. Does God want America to be a Christian nation? You better believe it. But more so than that, God wants the citizens of America to be Christians. Okay? I'm as big of a, 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 a patriot and a fan of America as anybody, I believe. But the reality is, listen, it isn't that God necessarily, the greatest thing would be America to be a, a, a Christian nation. No, it would be greater for every American to be a Christian. And if that were so, then we'd have a great impact, right? And so that is what Israel had to learn. And that's why Jesus Christ came and his focus was on, hey, let me tell you, you kind of missed the boat. Understanding the prophecies of the Old Testament, I know they weren't especially distinct, but yet the Holy Spirit is here to help us. And he's saying, listen, I'll come eventually and establish the kingdom in the entirety of the earth. But that's not today. Today, there's a much greater and necessary kingdom to be established, and that's in your heart. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. So he was coming to kind of, shall we say, set things straight, if we might put it that way. And I love all that because here's reality. As we have seen, these facts and more answer the questions that sometimes come up. 
See, some people will say, well, the rapture isn't even in the Gospels, or or there's very little said about the rapture in the Gospels. It doesn't seem distinct. There doesn't seem to be much that Christ spoke about it. And so they will cast doubt on the doctrine of the rapture and the pre-tribulational rapture by what they assess is Christ didn't say much about it. Well, there's a reason for that, as we've just seen. And yet it is in there. So here's the questions that I like to answer, okay? Did Christ speak of the rapture in the Gospels? From what we've already seen and studied, yes, he did, but it's interwoven within shared prophecies concerning the entirety of a second coming. And it's often hard to discern. We've talked about how, and we'll see even next week, there there are signs given for the the second coming that God said, Jesus Christ said, look at these signs. But at the same time, he's saying things, something's going to happen as a thief in the night when you know not when. Okay, and so we can understand, especially with the teaching of the rest of the New Testament, aha, we know that the return of Christ is imminent, as we've already seen. It could happen at any moment. This grand reunion in the sky of all believers, whether alive or dead in Christ, it's going to happen. That could happen any moment. That is literally the concept of a thief. It's coming as a thief in the night. We have no idea. And yet at other times we understand that there are some things that are going to happen. We know the entirety of the tribulation. Signs that are tied to the tribulation are going to happen here on earth. And then he says, when you see these things happening, you know that Jesus Christ is coming again as king very soon. He says that to who? Israel. But for you and I, the rapture, there's there's no signs attached. And yet all of this is interwoven together in the Gospels. So we rely on the Holy Spirit to understand that, but even greater than that, or as good as that, I should say, is that we also understand the New Testament, the rest of it, the teaching that we find about the rapture to the church, and we can look back on Christ's teaching and say, okay, that fits in here. We can see how that goes together, what Christ was alluding to, though it was kind of a, what's the word? A mystery. Christ kind of kept it as a mystery in some ways. And that then brings us to the, the second question. Well, why didn't he say more about it? Why didn't Jesus Christ say more about the rapture specifically? Why didn't he just give a whole message on the rapture? That would have been cool, wouldn't it? And uh, why didn't he do that? Well, again, let's understand, it's all about the audience. He, he said to the Gentile woman of Canaan, and I believe I have the wrong book or chapter there, so forgive me. But you remember that the lady, and here's the story. The lady comes to Christ, and in fact, he comes to his disciples, and he, she is just annoying the disciples. Remember that? She wanted a family member healed and, and so forth, and she's just pestering them, pestering them, pestering them. And Jesus Christ comes back to her, and she's pestering He says, listen, in fact, the verse 12 of the passage says this, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And you remember that, and we studied it on a Sunday morning message, and, and he said, listen, I, I, I am here primarily focused on the audience of Israel, but because of her faith and persistence, you remember he answered her request. But the point is this, what is he saying? Listen, it's, it's my audience right now. This first coming to earth, this advent certainly has come to die on the cross for all people, for the entire world. There's no doubt of that. But my friend, one of his main focuses of his mission was to help Israel to understand that he was indeed their Messiah. That now, in this instance, he was coming, as you see here. He was coming. His mission at the time was for the Jew first, for whom the truth about the future reign of the Messiah, the need for reigning in their hearts, was of the utmost importance. The law 
had not accomplished what it was intended in many of their hearts. They had not realized that it was a schoolmaster to bring them to Jesus Christ. And so he was there to kind of set some things straight, to help open their eyes to the reality. Yes, I'm coming again, but right now I'm coming to bring you salvation, to establish the kingdom of God in your hearts right now. And so we say, take into consideration the reality of the audience to whom Christ was speaking. And then we end with this. Who's Paul's audience? Or who is the audience of the rest of the epistles in the New Testament? That is the church. Hence, we have much more given to us about the rapture of Jesus Christ. Next week, we get to observe the Lord's Supper. And we'll then get back to our study. And we'll see some specific things, even in Revelation, some other passages, about the pre-tribulational rapture. You'll join me in standing. We'll finish with a song that is appropriate, both for tonight and next week. We'll sing with... Uh, uh, the song uh, 156 the hymn 156 excuse me entitled christ returneth i love this song um you'll know those of you who are musicians there's a great crescendo to this song right and uh kind of starting off quiet kind of builds and and uh, the exclamation the joy um have you ever thought we talked about this before but have you ever thought how cool it's going to be when you and i meet each other in the air you realize how excited we're going to be? There's some of you turkeys that were checking your phone the last 15, 20 minutes about Detroit Lions. <clears throat> I know 32, 32 years is a long time. I get that. But anyway, um, some of you are going to be excited if they lose. You'll get real excited. Can I just tell you right now? Ain't no excitement this earth could ever provide that will compare to the excitement of being there in the sky with Jesus Christ. You and I join in one another, and so that is why this study is so exciting. Because it tells us of what's to come and what we can expect in the most exciting events to come. Can I just tell you the best news you've ever heard? Christ returneth. He's coming back for you who he died for, and one day we'll be with him forever. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, ye may be also.